Welcome to episode 67 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week we will be continuing our recap of season three of Avatar The Last Airbender with the penultimate episodes 318, Susan's Comet Part 1, The Phoenix King, and 319, Susan's Comet Part 2, The Old Masters. As always, potential spoiler warning for both Avatarverse TV shows, the Kyoshi novels, Katara and the Pirate Silver, and Suki Alone. But before we get into news and the recap, Kayla, how are you doing? That We're in the series finale of Avatar. Yeah, you were just talking about that before we jumped into recording this. And it's it's weird. I remember just like scrolling to like, I'm literally scrolling to the end of season three and just kind of feeling like taking a minute to be like, wow. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Owen Wilson's voice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't do good impressions. Don't ever ask me to do impressions, but I'll do them anyway, because why not? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I got back from Key West this week. Uh, by this week, I mean, you know, a week ago, by the time that y'all will be listening to this, I have mm-hmm. my freshly inked avatar tattoo, uh, course Love on that. Me, which I will definitely make sure we post it on our Instagram and other pages. I'm just gonna wait for it to heal a little more. So that way y'all can see the colors pop because mm-hmm. there's a lot of really pretty colors. My, uh, tattoo artist did a fantastic job on it. Uh, Paul from Southernmost Tattoo, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for doing such a great job on the tattoo. He's a big fan of Avatar, which made it so much fun to talk to him. Um, actually, one of the things he told me is that he actually made the glider. He made Aang's glider for a con once. Like he's a LARPer and a cosplayer, and like he's a part of the Five O First, which is a Star Wars like charity group. Like. Mm-hmm. super nerd I got tattooed by a super nerd we had a great time while he was working on it and you were telling me that he used to uh, draw art for like Marvel comic books yeah he was telling me that he started out as a like Marvel comic book artist like he did stuff for like X-Force and Wolverine I can't remember the other titles That's he mentioned crazy. but those are the two that stuck out to me um, yeah. Did you know absolutely. any of this before you booked an appointment with them? No. Like, they just... What are the odds? I know. I kind of just, like, went with it. It's like, you know, hopefully they, you know, like, I'm sure, like, the person probably won't know the reference, but I'm sure they can make it look pretty. And it was just so much better knowing that someone who knows the source material that I'm getting yeah. this from. And, like, if you've made Aang's glider, he was telling you how he used, like, PVC pipe and stuff like that. And, like... Wow. He actually is actually able to, like, pop open, like, uh-huh. he put in the effort to do that. And that's so cool. Like, oh, it was awesome. So I was like, like, meanwhile, like my dad's getting tattooed next to me and he's just like gripping the bench. Like he's, he's getting his on his, he got his that's, on his shoulder and he's yeah. just having like a rough go at it. He's hanging in there. He wants to get the tattoo, but he's just having a hard time with it. Meanwhile, I'm just having my arm out and we're just chit chatting for the entire hour and a half session that I had. <laughs> I'm your dad when I, when I, when I get tattoos. Like, I th- I'm fine for, like, the first 10 minutes, but then after a while, I'm, like, cringing and, and like, I just want it to be over. Yeah, but that sounds like that sounds like the best-case scenario, honestly, for your yeah, first especially tattoo. For, especially for a first, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I got it on my forearm, and, like, you know, there was it didn't really hurt for a lot of it. Especially, mm-hmm. However, the parts we kind of got to, like, the outer edges of the tattoo, mm-hmm. that hurt like a motherfucker, but it wasn't that bad. Like, I was able to kind of keep a poker face on it, but I'm just inside, I'm like... <sighs> Yeah. How long did it take? About an hour and a half, two hours. Like, not super duper long, but still super detailed. Apparently, according to my artist, uh, my skin doesn't like the color green. So, because I got the Korosami, like, holding hands moment tattooed Mm -hmm. on me. It was, um, like, there's a lot of green in that moment because of the spirit portal and, like, the vines around it. So, that was, he had to go over that spot a lot to make sure that it had the 
right pigmentation pop, yeah. for it. Yeah. But yeah. it's as it's healing, it's definitely gotten a lot brighter. And um, I will definitely make sure to post the pictures. Don't you worry, listeners. Uh, awesome. And patrons can get a little preview of it here as I'm waving my arm around. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love that. Oh my goodness. But how are you doing? I've talked a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. Um, I'm I am freshly boosted. Um, nice. No side effects. So I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, me and my boyfriend are actually nearing our one year anniversary. Oh yay. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yes. My my longest relationship, which is really weird to think about. Um, but yeah, we're gonna just gonna go to dinner and see um the Christmas lights at the botanical gardens and yeah, just have a good time. That's cute. But, That's such a cute date idea. I love it. Yes, yes. And it was his idea, so props to him. Oh um, awesome. but yeah, otherwise doing pretty good. Um, so yeah, let's get into the the news here. Um, one quick thing that came up this past week. Um, Loot Crate uh announced that they are releasing an exclusive limited edition. Avatar The Last Airbender Loot Crate called the Elemental Masters Collection. Now, for people who don't know what Loot Crate is, essentially, it's a service that you can subscribe to where, um, based on the fandom that you choose, they will send you basically uh, a crate of, um, you know, merchandise or, like, like officially licensed, you know, just like tchotchkes, like these really cool prints and stuff, and they deliver it to your house every three months. So... Um, and they have it for a lot of different kinds of fandoms. Um, but I think this is the first time that they're doing Avatar. The only thing that is different with this one is that it is limited edition. Oh. So you receive four crates for every element and then that's it. But I just wanted to read the product description. Um, it says, what kind of bender are you? Whether you're a member of the Air Nomads, the Water Tribes, the Earth Kingdom, or even the Fire Nation, it's time to celebrate the legendary series that influenced a generation of fans. Get a surprise mix of exclusive, officially licensed items from the world of Avatar The Last Airbender delivered to your door every three months in this limited edition four crate collection inspired by the four nations. Um, this will cost uh, $49.99 plus shipping, and it is currently available for pre-order. Yes, I think that is $49.99 per crate. So I don't think it's all one thing. It is per crate. So you're looking at $200 on the whole. But I have had um, friends who have subscribed to Loot Crate in the past. And it is really, really cool, unique stuff that you really can't um, buy anywhere. Um, so no doubt the stuff that will come in this loot crate, you, you'll see fluttering around, fluttering around on like eBay for years because uh, it's the only place that you can get it. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. And if you're already a loot crate subscriber um, I and you're an Avatar fan, go ahead and subscribe to this one. Um, we're interested to see if if anyone we know uh, subscribe so they can tell us what's actually in it. Yeah. Um, because we are curious. Um, We're curious. Yeah, and that broke. was, <laughs> yeah, that was not a Loot Crate sponsorship. We just like Loot Crate. But yeah, that's it for a uh, Loot Crate. And one quick thing for just the podcast news a quick reminder that our live stream for the last two episodes, the serious finale of Avatar The Last Airbender, we will be live streaming our episode recap on December 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this episode, you know that we are just going to cover the last two episodes. We're not trying to do four episodes and one recap episode. That's a lot. That's, That's a lot for us. That's a lot. <laughs> um, so we're just doing the last two, but it will be live streamed on YouTube and there will be a chat open where you can talk to us as we record the podcast and, um, we can, you know, shout out whatever you send us, whether it's comments, feedbacks, thoughts about what we're talking about. And yeah, we're really excited for that. We thought it'd be a nice way to kind of 
you know, bring our journey and recapping Avatar The Last Airbender to a close um, with the people who have, you know, followed the recap from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're listening to this episode now, the link to this live stream will be in the episode description. But yeah, super excited for that. Yeah, it's been a minute since we did a live stream. Last time we did that, we were reacting to the movie that must not be named. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So got a little tipsy on that one. That was a fun one. You can go back and rewatch <laughs> it on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah. But if you miss the live stream, it's okay. You can rewatch it on our YouTube channel. It'll be available publicly. And not only will the live stream be available after the fact, if you can't make it on December 15th, um, the episode will be released as usual as um, an audio file on a podcast. Um, I will say, though, that the live stream will be unedited. So there will definitely probably be some things that you won't hear on the final podcast version so if you're interested in you know getting the full conversation we're not taking huge swaths of discussions out just like you know little things here and there that we save maybe for like patrons or stuff like that so um yeah we're super excited for that and we hope people can make it we were going to do this on the friday of that week but we're i think me and kayla we're going on different days we're going to see spider-man no way home yeah and we try not (laughs) to do podcast stuff on the weekend um, cause you know, it's good to have boundaries with your work. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday was our best shot. We, you know, some people can't make it, but we hope that, um, yeah, we'll see some listeners there. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for it. Cool. All right. So let's start our second to last at the recap. And we're going to start with 318. So since Comet part one, the Phoenix King. All right. So. The gang is back on Ember Island and Zuko is drilling Aang on some firebending forms while everyone else is just lounging around. Um, Zuko angrily, angrily criticizes them all for being lazy and in response, Sokka and the others head to the beach to have a party. Um, and this is a great little uh, montage. I like that we started with something a little more lighthearted before we get into the doom and gloom of these next three episodes. Yeah, there's... Um, we get a little... I guess it was kind of writing off Ember Island players of, like, the, you know, kind of goofiness mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And then before we get into the the, the final showdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, as the gang are enjoying the beach party, it's quickly interrupted by an onslaught of firebending from Zuko as he attacks Aang. The fight spans all over the beach and into the house before Aang decides to end it by blowing Zuko out of the house with airbending. And, you know, Zuko wonders how they can relax and have a party when Sozin's Comet arrives in three days. The others reveal that the that originally the plan was to defeat the fire, defeat the fire Lord before the Fire Nation won the war. But the Fire Nation already won the war after conquering Ba Sing Se. And Aang wanted to wait until he fully mastered all the elements to defeat the Fire Lord. Uh, because he still quite hasn't mastered earthbending and his firebending could use a lot of work. And this uh, bewilders Zuko, who assumed that he would be facing Fire Lord before the comet happens. Um, he tells the group about this last war meeting in the war room before he, you know, left the Fire Nation. And he reveals Ozai's plan to completely wipe out the Earth Kingdom and become the supreme ruler of everything. Zuko says that Aang will have no choice but to defeat, the, defeat Ozai before the comet comes. Otherwise, there will not be a world to save. Disturbed by this news, Aang feels overwhelmed and doubts his abilities to successfully face the Fire Lord. Sokka, however, declares that they will fight alongside him to have a better shot at defeating Ozai. So, yeah. I mean, it's Ozai's plan, but credit goes to Azula for this horrifying suggestion of more genocide. Yeah. 
I got nothing else to say on that. We get more about, we get a little bit more of it later when Azula talks to Ozai about it, but ooh, Jesus. I, hmm. Much like <laughs> the logic of Fire Lord Sozin, I do not see the, the merit of immolating an entire country that takes up like three quarters of the world's like yeah. landmass. Like, what's the <laughs> point in doing that if you want to rule the world? There's not much of a world left to rule. So why why are you doing that, buddy? Yeah, what's what's uh what's going on here? It's just it's just pure <laughs> evil. And he does Ozai does this like twice within these two episodes where he goes, I will be the supreme ruler of everything. And he like holds his arms up like some like like cartoon, but I mean, he is a cartoon villain. He but, is a cartoon. Um, <laughs> he's doing the, 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 the goatee twirling, I guess you could say, because he literally. doesn't have a mustache, but you know. Literally, they were like, we just got to make him supremely evil uh, right before we take him down. Just in case y'all forget. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we got Mark Hamill as uh, Fire Lord Ozai or Phoenix King Ozai. Jesus. I'm sorry. I fucking hate that title. What's worse? What's worse? Phoenix King or Moonslayer? Phoenix King. <laughs> Hands down. I mean, Moonslayer, trust me, Moonslayer is nothing to, you know, celebrate, but I don't know. At least out of context, Moonslayer sounds like kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. The Phoenix King. It just the sounds Phoenix like someone, someone who's trying way too fucking hard. To it's cool. not a phase, mom. I'm the Phoenix King. Like, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. It just, I don't know. It just grinds my gears every time I hear the word Phoenix King. Like, <laughs> And Lame. I just, I just love, I love that Jose's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn gonna down everything, and I'm gonna rebrand I'm gonna, myself. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna rebrand myself because the world's being reborn like a phoenix from the ashes. Oh. I will be the Phoenix King. And oh. I'm like, <laughs> okay, you took, that, you, that, took, you took one high school English class. Okay, exactly. Like, <laughs> that AP lit really jumped out, huh? <laughs> it's called symbolism, and it's I love bad. him like pitching, pitching the, the idea to like his like you know, cabinet or whatever. And he's like, we got to get some Fire Nation freelance graphic designers to come up with these new banners. I need a couple of Fire Nation LARPers to make this costume. I need <laughs> I need a whole new helmet. I need a whole new brand. Change up my social media. Change my handles. Change everything. You know update what's it. You know what's better than being Fire Lord? More fires. Add more fire to this. Like, <laughs> Or even better, he's like going to his cabinet being like, I want to rebrand, but I don't know what. And then someone's like, the Phoenix King? And he's like, yes. Yes. Oh, just thinking about it just a little too long. It's just, it's more, it's just funny. It's just it's, funny. Yeah. I mean, I was waiting to let, I was waiting for like later in the episode to start like shitting all over the Phoenix King thing. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait any longer. It was going to drive me crazy. Like... <laughs> actually maddening but this whole plan is a is a giant 11 o'clock twist um because we don't find out about this plan until now the very end of the series but also with the um like they're kind of addressing what some of the audience would be with kind of was kind of thinking like oh why not wait until after the comet hits you know like some people i'm I'm sure Mm -hmm. some people must have thought that and so they kind of maybe kind of addressed that i mean i wouldn't be surprised if some people had thought that yeah, you know, I can't remember the exact. Um, I mean, I know, like originally in season one, that that Roku tells him that he has to face him before the comet comes. I don't know. I can't remember if there was like a concrete reason, or if Roku was just n- afraid that the Fire Nation might use that to commit something 
just as terrible as the Air Nomad genocide. But yeah, I mean, I also, I don't know. I don't know if the writers were like halfway through season three, they're like, oh God, I mean, I, why couldn't he just wait till after the comet? Like they had to put like a, like a, some sort of timer on it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't really feel last minute because Zuko, we do see Zuko go to that and meeting. I, in the Nightmares and Daydreams episode, we see him go into that meeting, but we don't know what that meeting is about. Yes, they did set it up earlier. Yeah. And I wonder how different it would have been if we knew that, um, if we had played up this thing of, of the gang wanting to wait till after the comet. And meanwhile, on the other side of the story, we know that this thing is happening on the day of the comet. And we're like, watch the dramatic irony of it all. I wonder how like different that would have made the whole season. Just knowing that mm. our good guys are actually on the wrong path to the plan to defeating the bad guy. And Zuko yeah. has to be the one to be like, no, this has to happen before that happens. You know, Ooh, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, that's be very interesting. That's also that's something that the live action series might do if they're looking for ways to keep the the big beats of the story, but make it slightly different. That would be an, a good way to go because it doesn't it. I can't see it like being at the detriment of the show for whatever reason. Um, yeah. But you know, just a, another another thing that they could possibly track. Later on, Zuko teaches Aang um, lightning redirection. And he cautions him that while the feeling of the energy is very exhilarating, it's also just as terrifying because the user is aware that one wrong move could prove fatal. Aang asks if he has ever used it before, and Zuko tells him that he used it with his father. Um, Aang thinks Katara would still be able to heal him if, you know, if he wasn't able to redirect it, but she says that she used up all the spiritual healing, healing water when Azula first shot Aang with lightning before. Just upping stakes here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Zuko stresses that against an opponent as vicious as Ozai, Aang has no choice but to take his life. Aang anxiously replies he will do just that. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll get right on that. Um, and later on in the, what I call the Melon Lord training drill, uh, the gang practices how they'll confront the Fire Lord together. But in the end, Aang can't take Melon Lord Ozai out, saying it did not feel right. Um, because it felt it felt like it went against this peaceful nature, and this had me thinking, like how different the finale would have looked if it was the gang against Ozai, you know, like much like how Korra ended up being like the final conflict was, you know, the group versus the bad guy, and but we still got some Korra and Kuvira one on one conflict. Um, so I always think about that, and I always think that about like a lot of like fantasy stories that end with the one-on-one bad guy like i always think of of like oh well if it, what if like in harry potter the final thing was like voldemort versus like the trio or what if like in star wars it was you know luke han and leia against darth vader or something like that like i always think of like how cool that be because it felt it feels like such a you know, a full circle kind of moment because you've been tracking with this group for so long and it'd be cool. But most of the time, it doesn't really pan out that way except for Korra. So... I didn't even think like... I didn't even think about that. But, well, in Korra and also in Kiyoshi, you know, she did have a team with her while she was battling Yun. So that's also a good example. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'll take take either one and we can talk about that more once we get to the actual final two episodes. Mm -hmm. That night, as they eat dinner, Katara finds a picture of a baby in the attic. 
And much to everyone's surprise, Zuko corrects Katara because she says that it's Zuko. Um, and he says that it's actually a picture of his father. Suki states that Ozai looks so sweet and innocent. And Zuko says that that sweet little kid grew up to be a monster and the worst father in the history of fathers. Aang argues, though, that even though it even though Ozai is a terrible person, he is still a human being and should not be killed. He argues that killing goes against everything he learned from the monks. And Sokka jokes that as the Avatar, the universe would probably forgive him for taking a person's life if it was done in the name of keeping balance. Furious, Aang berates everyone for not being able to understand the position he is in, and he storms off. Katara starts to follow him, but Zuko suggests that he be left alone to figure out the problem for himself. So not only do we have this ticking time bomb of what Ozai is planning to do. We also have this giant moral dilemma where Aang feels that he cannot take out Ozai and maintain like his like, you know, the integrity of his spirituality. And I know that there's always been a lot of discussion of whether Aang should have done it or not. And it's really easy for us to be like, yeah, you should have killed Ozai, no question. Um, But I like that this is something that the show wanted to address because it's not often addressed like the morality of taking down someone like even if they've done all these terrible things are they worth is it worth killing them like is it the right moral thing to do to kill them you know what do you think i'm glad they did this because not a lot of, like you said not a lot of media does that um and also remember these are all kids facing off against like a, you know, facing off against him, like, angst, what, 12, 13 at this point? Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Like, a t- you know, a thir- 12, 13-year-old kid having to kill someone. Like... I'd say, if if someone came up to me and said, you had, you had to kill this person who's done so many bad things, but it's okay that you kill them because they're terrible, I still would be like, well, maybe I don't want to kill somebody, you know? Like, I can't imagine, like, at 12 being told that, you, like, you have to take out this person mm-hmm. um, for the good of the world, you know? Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, a lot of people are proven wrong, you know, because Ozai's death is not the only way to end the war, you know? But, yeah, we'll get, we'll get we'll more get into more. that yeah, in the next episode. There's, there's some points about that. So, uh, meanwhile, Aang is meditating on the beach house porch, accompanied by Momo. Um, they fall asleep, and with the sudden appearance of a strange small island offshore, Aang is unconsciously drawn toward the island, and Momo flies after him. The next morning, the others cannot find Aang anywhere, so they check the beach and find his footprints in the sand, leading into the wide open ocean. They deduce that Aang did not run away and that he wasn't captured because his glider and Appa are still at the house. And they decide to split up to search Ember Island. Um, and this is Portoff. Uh, this is her life-changing, life-changing field trip with Zuko. But not really. She can't talk not, about her trauma while they're trying to search for Aang. <laughs> yeah. And the like the sad like violin music that's playing as she's like <laughs> recounting to him all of her trauma. And he's like, look. Like, it, you sound like you had a rough childhood, but I'm sorry, I can't. but I can't, we can't do this right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the search is futile. No one finds Aang. And they all look to Zuko as a leader um, with the classic line, get out of the bison's mouth, Sokka. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, everyone looks to him because he is technically an expert on tracking Aang. And I like that someone has brought this up because it like, it's just ironic that the thing that inconvenienced them for two whole seasons is now they're saving grace. Yeah. So, <laughs> and soon they're all flying on Appa towards the Earth Kingdom. 
Meanwhile, in the Fire Nation, Fire Lord Ozai orders Ozula to stay in the Fire Nation, um, and she begins to panic, claiming that it's not fair, and she says that she can't treat him like Zuko. Mm. Um, we'll talk which more about that we'll later. Get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Yeah, her father explains that she has an important job to watch over the homeland and appoints her the new Fire Lord, while he subsequently declares himself the Phoenix King, the ruler of the world, and he departs for the airship base. I can't not hear the word Phoenix King and roll my eyes. Like it's, it's also just like the drama and conflama of like the the firebenders like making like the Phoenix wings. I and mean, I'm, I'm like I'm sure they the like melodrama. rehearsed that oh, and like God, they yeah. they had to have workshopped okay. that so with the other island players or so something. When I, so when I yell on the Phoenix King, I need you guys to just start just going nuts with the flames. I want to like wings. Like I want I want yeah. the wings. You gotta have it's very important. You gotta time this yeah. right. The audience is only my daughter, but it's fine. Like, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. When I start explaining to her what I'm gonna do, that's why I need you to come up behind me, put the helmet on me, and all that. Um, and then when I get when I say this line, this is your cue, and then. <laughs> It's like, oh my god. <laughs> now we know where Jacques gets it from. Um, back in the <laughs> Earth Kingdom, Zuko leads the group into a tavern where they find June, um, a bounty hunter who has a sheer shoe that can track Aang. Of course, we saw uh, June back in, uh, what was it? Bato of the Water Tribe episode in season one. Um, and somewhere else, Momo wakes Aang up and he sees that with great surprise, he is on a mysterious island in the middle of the sea. And that is the end of part one. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say it's really interesting just this episode because it's just not what you would expect to happen in a series finale because it a lot of series finales don't like really bring up problems that have to be solved within that same time frame because it's usually series finales are usually meant to solve conflicts that were created at the beginning of that season, you know, but this one is doing that on top of the it, its own story of these small problems that the gang has to overcome together. So, I mean, unsurprisingly, they've kind of like redefined what a series finale can do. And before we uh, go into the ad break, um, I just wanted to mention some interesting Avatar Wiki trivia. Thanks, Avatar the- Wiki. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, the chanting that can be heard when the island slash lion turtle calls to Aang, causing him to sleepwalk slash swim to him, is a Buddhist chant and can also be heard during Winter Solstice Part 2 Avatar Roku, when Zhao and his soldiers are about to attack Aang, as well as in the Siege of the North Part 2, when Aang goes into the Avatar state and walks into the pond. Um, so yeah, we've heard this We've heard this little musical cue before. And this episode is the first part of the two-hour movie Sozin's Comet, which pulled in an average of 5.6 million total viewers and achieved the highest Avatar rating ever with kids 6 to 11 and teens. Um, And I was part of those 5.6 million total viewers uh, because I remember, you know, the night that it was airing um, and... It was just wild. Just clear my schedule. Don't want to disturb me. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I told my parents, like, do not bother me. <laughs> do not ask me to do anything. I will be watching two hours of Avatar. <laughs> um, yeah, I could still, I could still like remember like the advertisements that played like weeks up to, because the back half of season three was like part of this countdown to Susan's Comet thing. And in every Avatar episode that they were playing up before that, they had like a counter at the bottom right of the screen of, you know, the day that the these last four episodes aired. So it was a giant, giant deal. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. So before we get into uh, part two, the old masters, we're going to take a quick break and we will see you after that. 
Hey everyone, Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. And we're back with 319, Sezen's Comet Part 2, The Old Masters. And goodness, these episodes are getting long now with the titles. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So, taking off from where we left off, uh, the gang has enlisted June's help to track Aang's scent using his glider. Uh, however, after rigorous sniffing, the Shershi was unable to find him. Uh, June tells them that he's not dead, he just doesn't exist, because if he were dead, she'd be able to find him still. So he's a just, real head scratcher, she says. Poof. <laughs> he's gone. Yeah. Uh, Zuko then realizes that there's only one other person who can help them face Ozai, and it's Iroh. So Zuko brings out Iroh's smelly sandal, and they're like, why do you still have that? <laughs> and I just love that they, they acknowledge that. But they bring out his <laughs> sandal for the Shorty to track, and it leads them to the outer wall of Ba Sing Se. So where are Aang and Momo? They explore the island some more, and Aang finds a hexagon on the ground. After finding out it's not an element that he can bend, he then turns to his past lives for help. And Roku is the first one that shows up. Uh, he's like, yeah, I don't have no idea where we are right now, but you seem to be conflicted about some things, so let's just... <laughs> Let's address that while we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he tells Aang that he needs to be decisive in what he does next against Ozai because his lack of decisiveness in his actions led to the 100 Years War. Yeah. So, and then he turns, he's like, well, that didn't help at all. Let's talk to Kiyoshi then. And then Kiyoshi shows up and she tells him the kind of important line, only justice will bring peace. And I do, like the part where she's like, he says like, well, you didn't kill you know, Shen the Conqueror, he just, like, you know, he just felt because he was too stubborn to get out of the way. She's like, personally, I didn't see much of a difference. And that's yeah. where Fan and Kiyoshi comes from as well. <laughs> just this very cold, like, oh, I didn't see much of a And doesn't Aang say, I knew I shouldn't have asked Kiyoshi? <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh. Um, oh, God. But also, like, I mean, we didn't really get to see what Kiyoshi was like at that point in her life. So, you know, after seeing more of Kiyoshi, she's not this thirsty person that the fandom sometimes makes her out to be. No, but she's also not um, but, tethered to the the morals of the air nomads. And like, I, 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 she does not have a problem taking out somebody that is is throwing the world into imbalance. Yeah, you know. I mean, look at what so she if, did. If this was Kiyoshi, there would be there would be no problem. Yeah, exactly. She know? doesn't have that same conflict. Because um, I don't think in in the entirety of Rise of Kiyoshi, I don't think there's. I don't think Kiyoshi ever like wavers on wanting to kill Jinju. Yeah, um, but what about but who's thinking with Yen though? That makes things a little that, bit well, that's different yeah. because he she was close with him. Like, right. Real fucking close. But so and also the him. Governor Tay situation where she didn't end up killing him, mostly because he was a child, but mm-hmm. you know, so I she isn't completely bloodthirsty, but yeah. within these specific circumstances, yes, she would have no problem taking Ozai out. That's yeah. my opinion. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um so then he talks to Kurik, who just shares like a small portion of his really fucking tragic backstory, <laughs> like literally a tiny sliver. I'm like, mm. But he tells him that he needs to actively shape his own destiny and the destiny of the world. So, 
mm-hmm. kind of a similar like vein to what both Roku and Kiyoshi said. Um, he then turns to Avatar Yangchen, the last Air Nomad Avatar before him, for help because the other Avatars didn't grow up with the same Airbender philosophy like he did. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that unlike what he was taught as an air nomad, the Avatar is incapable of detaching from the world as it's the Avatar's sole duty to serve the world. And she insists that Aang must do whatever it takes to protect it. So, I mean, Avatar Yangchen did really serve the human world very well and pissed off the spirits. So, you know. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. watching this scene with what we know now about Kiyoshi, Kuruk, and Yangchen. It is. It is. And I I just think this is both like really like classic series finale stuff, but it's also just so perfect in acknowledging the past avatars and how we even got to where we are today. Um, as for like what as for like the advice that they gave him there essentially all kind of saying the same thing um and i and i also truly don't think that roku kiyoshi kurik or yangchen would have misgivings about taking out somebody like ozai but they're also adults ang still sees things as very black and white still Mm -hmm. you know so of course he's having trouble with this concept um but actually, you know what? I take that back because I don't think he sees Ozai as black and white because he tried to defend him that like he's still a human being. So so I don't really know where I, where I stand on on how Aang is feeling about it. But in terms of the actual advice that the previous avatars gave him, it's essentially all saying the same thing. And I don't think they're even necessarily wrong either. But it truly is like what they're asking Aang to do is to really like sacrifice all that he believes in and of course, that isn't easy to hear or even easy to yeah, do. Especially, especially hearing that from someone who grew up in the same culture that he did. Exactly. Yang Chen tells that's him that what, yeah. I think that's what, what kind of, you know, hit the nail on the coffin for him. Like, I think that was, and like, he had like, no he choice. Kind of just defeated and he's feeling, and he's just like, now he's the only option is to kill him. Yeah. But even, even though he feels that, that that's the only option, when we actually get to the actual fight, there are still multiple times where he refuses to actually kill Ozai. Mm-hmm. You know? So, it's really interesting how how Aang is, like, sort of dealing with this. And I like that they're making him struggle with his own morality. Mm-hmm. You know? Because morality is not something that we touch on often in Avatar. It's We touch a lot about, like, you know, trauma and spirituality and um, but ne- I don't think ever has there been like a moral question this like consequential to a character mm-hmm. like Aang, you know, like for Zuko, he definitely had a lot of tough decisions, but and there was a morality element to it, especially with like, you know, should I give give Aang his bison back like that sort of thing. But I mean, we're talking about killing someone. Um, and I'm also surprised that they're allowed to get away with saying kill in mm-hmm. the show. Um, but this is well, a very... Well, it's not like TikTok. They don't say unalive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They don't have to worry about the TikTok algorithm. But but I, I yeah, I just think it's it's really interesting how they're deciding to, you know, make and kind of go through this. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, mm. those past lives are still part of him. So I'm sure there's also some reckoning of like, well, I have people from my past lives that don't see any problem with this, but I have a giant problem with this. You know, so... 
I think I also want to like bring this up and see what you thought of it. Um, mm-hmm. With the exception of Yang Chen, that like the rest of them were kind of telling him to like, whatever you do, be decisive about it. Like make mm-hmm. your choice on what you want to do and go 100% with it. Yang Chen's a little bit more overt with saying like, yeah, you should kill him. But in a way that's like, yeah, you got to unfortunately gotta sacrifice like part of your spirituality to serve the world. But mm-hmm. I think just with the other three, you know, it's kind of more like just stick, you know, stick to your course and stay with it, you know. So I, I would I would say that for Roku and Kirk, but Kiyoshi flat out tells him that you need to do the just thing. Yeah. Even if you don't agree with it. Yeah, you know, so the, but that's the hard thing. Like, what is justice to to someone? What is justice to Aang? What is justice to Ozai? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a completely subjective concept. So I mean, I'll, I think we'll get more into like the decision, like Aang's decision and what he does with Ozai in the end. Because I have, I have a yeah point about it that I didn't think of when I watched the show for the first time. So yeah, that in mind for later. So, uh, meanwhile, the rest of the gang is woken up by fire surrounding their encampment as. Uh, and then they realize, oh my God, it's all these different people that we've met along our journey. It's mm-hmm. Zhang Zhang, it's Kian Dao, it's Paku, it's Bumi, all showing up uh, because all old people <laughs> know each other. <laughs> 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 Which I remember watching, it's like I had to watch Avatar on my phone late at night after everyone else went to bed. So I remember like silently like under the covers going like, yes, like <laughs> it was such a cool moment. And also like I saw this one post that said like, it's cool. It's really cool seeing young people like stand up and trying to fix the world and all that stuff. But it's even it's like even cooler to see like the old like, you know older folks standing up and like yeah we're not gonna like you know keep repeating the same cycles that our generation has done you know yeah like that such a cool moment such an underrated moment yeah definitely you know so apparently uh, Paku is now their grand Paku so I guess he respect- <laughs> finally drank some respect women juice by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they all reveal themselves as the members of the Order of the White Lotus, and they share that a call had gone out about a month ago to gather for something important, which had come from the Grand Lotus, Iroh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before they go to Iroh, Boomy notices a very important member of their group being missing, which is Momo. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, where's Momo? I miss Boomy so much. I wish there was more Someone very important. Where's Momo? <laughs> Uh, it's so funny it's just such a great moment and he's like it's like yeah they're both gone he's so and gone too and he's like well as long as <laughs> Aang and Momo have each other then I'm sure I have nothing to worry about like <laughs> yeah which he's right <laughs> he's right <laughs> oh my god and then Bumi details how he single-handedly liberated Omashu on the day of Black Sun which honestly <laughs> is like one of my favorite like bending scenes in the entire series like, yeah. this this guy is just moving entire buildings, which, like, he's literally moving buildings. And I'm like, oh, my God, is he going to move the city? Like, what's, like, I haven't seen this in a while. So I'm just, I'd like, also like to point out that this flashback implies that he took back this entire city in a matter of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, beating Azula's record for <laughs> overthrowing an entire government. Literally reclaimed his city in an afternoon. Like, in like on a lunch break. Like, this is, <laughs> he's like... Just- but like he also talked about like you know then like the neutral Jing just sits there and waits. Exactly. Waited, yeah. Waited for the opportune moment. He found it. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> also, I just love the next line. He's like, "Did you guys do anything important on the day of the eclipse?" And then and then like Zuko and Sokka look at each other and they're like, "No, no. not really. <laughs> not really." Yeah. Which is like I relate 
when someone asks me a question that actually has a very long story, but you don't feel like telling that story. No. So you're just like, no, not no. really. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, yeah. at the old people camp, as Bumi referred to it as, uh, Zuko and Ira reunite in a really touching moment that we waited a long time for. Like, Zuko is like having a hard time approaching the tent. Like, he's like, he must hate me. And, you know, Katara has to reassure him, like, are you really, like, do you really feel bad for what you did? Do you, like, you know, then mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, of course I do. And she's like, okay, he'll forgive you. Okay, I think you're going to be okay. Um, and, like, I mean, I got choked up watching this. Again, I don't do that super duper often. And mm-hmm. there were tears. There were some tears when they reunited. Like, Zuko apologizes, like, tears streaming down his face, but... Iroh pulls him in for a tight hug, doesn't even let him, like, finish part of his sentence, like, and Iroh's also got tears streaming down his face as he tells him, I was never angry with you. I was just sad because I was afraid you lost your way. And then he tells him how proud he is of finding his own way himself, which, like, (sighs) you know... (sighs) I love this scene because every time I watch it with people who haven't seen it before and there's always 100% always uh, tears or choking up. And when I talk to them about it, I realize that it's less about the fact that it's a reunion that Iroh says that he was sad, but it's more the fact that there is a like a giant, huge emotional payoff here that is very cathartic as an audience member. And I just, I love that that I love that that can like move a lot of people because it, whether or not they know it or not, like a lot of the emotions is just coming from the fact that this whole relationship between these two characters have panned out in such a way where this reunion is like a giant cathartic moment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just amazing. Like there are very, very few scenes like that in just anything, you know, but there was such, you just realize in that moment that there was such care to writing these characters and, and writing them on parallel journeys with each other and then bringing them back together. Like, it's just, there's nothing like it. Like, it's like, it's insanely powerful as a scene. It's just like, also just a beautiful display of like unconditional love, you know? Like, absolutely. It's, and like, you know, again, it further cements, you know, the father-son relationship that Zuko and Iroh have, you know, as they're about to face down with Zuko's, biological father you know it's just Mm -hmm. such an important moment like (sighs) yeah Mm -hmm. so sweet Mm. okay back to Aang (sighs) moment over uh so back (laughs) moving on yeah moving on moving on from that so we don't start crying in the middle of the podcast again all right so back to Aang who wakes up to find that the island is moving towards land and definitely not an island anymore he dives into the water trying to investigate and finds a massive paw swimming through the water He's not on an island. He's on a living creature. Uh, quick cut back to the White Lotus camp. Zuko asks for Iroh's help in defeating the Father Lord. I mean, the Fire Lord. <laughs> I I always wondered why they put that in there. I don't know either. It was interesting. Um, it's just weird. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but Iroh replies that the history would only see Iroh taking down his brother as more senseless violence and a brother killing a brother for power. Only the Avatar should defeat the Fire Lord. I guess. I but... guess. <laughs> but I still want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been really cool. These two episodes just got me thinking about all the alternate ways this finale could have like panned out. Yeah. Um, but there isn't enough. 
work between Iroh and Ozai for it to be, you know, as as satisfying as it ends up being. Yeah, exactly. So he tells Zuko that he needs to take his father's place as the Fire Lord. Zuko's destiny is to restore the honor of the Fire Nation and to face his sister. Mm. And meanwhile, Iroh's destiny is to liberate Ba Sing Se in the name of the Earth Kingdom. And then when he's done, he'll retire and reopen the, you know, the Jasmine Dragon and play Pai Show every day. I love that. And it's it's really interesting because he mentioned that when he was young, he had a vision of going to Ba Sing Se. And, and obviously, it. we, yeah, and we saw that, you know, he originally took that to mean that he was going to conquer it for the Fire Nation. But now he realizes that it's his destiny to take it back. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Full circle moment. Um, they then devise a plan. Zuko and Katara are going to the Fire Nation to face Azula. Iroh and the White Lotus will be going to Ba Sing Se. And then meanwhile, Sokka, Toph, and Suki are going to take down the Fire Nation airships to stop the annihilation of the Earth Kingdom. It's just a really, like, I don't know, bittersweet and awesome moment because we see everybody take their places before the final battle. It's like the one day more mm-hmm. part. Like <laughs> it, It's literally one day more. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. So cut back to Aang who swims around to find that the creature is actually a lion turtle who lifts Aang up on his paw and looks at him. And he asks the lion turtle for guidance. And... This is just, this is an interesting line because I'm like, I'm also kind of confused whenever I listen to it or read it. So I'll just read it out loud for all of you. So the lion turtle tells him, the true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to purifying light. So it took me for a second. I keep to reading this like, and I'm not, I'm, I still don't really like brain, know what to make of it. Like, Yes, I don't know. Darkness rises, light rises to meet it. Uh, you know. The true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. So it just like has to do with like Aang facing the person who killed his people and not losing himself in the process. Is that what's being... Yeah, it's basically saying don't take revenge. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void but always yields to purifying light. I mean, some reverse Ratu, uh, Ratu, <laughs> uh, Rava and Vatu references. Yeah. Um, true mind can weather all the lies. In the- I don't know. We need some like someone who can read mind bending <laughs> things and make sense of it. That's the part. That's that's the part where the listeners come in. Please help us. <laughs> the true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. Keep a clear head. I don't know. Keep a clear head. I'd be confused as fuck if I was Aang because I I wouldn't. (laughs) He's like, can I get that? Can Can I get that? Can can you say that again? Can can you get get, get the Spark Notes version of that? Like, can I get that in an email so I can I can read it? It's can I get the Spark Notes, please? I would like the Spark Notes version of this. (laughs) Or no fear, no fear, Shakespeare. Like, (laughs) it literally. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of great layers and symbolism in here. Um, but, but I'm like going cross. I'm blanking right now, honestly. Yeah. The only one I really understand is the true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Yeah. Other than that, I'm lost. Uh, it's it like kind of like or maybe makes we're, my or eyes maybe, glaze or maybe over. we're just thinking too much about it. <laughs> maybe we're just You know what? To... That's probably it. 
Let's go with that. Let's just let's just move on. <laughs> let's just move on from this. Uh, it then touches Aang's forehead and chest with this green glow and drops him off at shore and tells him to wait for him. He will come, referring to Ozai. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ozai, because I refuse to refer to him as Fire Lord or Phoenix King Ozai, <laughs> and Aang prepare for their final showdown that's been building up since the beginning of the fucking series mm-hmm. as Sozin's Comet streaks across the sky. I had chills watching this, like literal chills. Just, oh yeah. my God, the cliffhanger, because we have a cliffhanger and we're not going to do all four <laughs> episodes and this is like, crazy and uh, so excited. <laughs> yeah. And that's and the end of the episode. That's it. Yep. So um, we have two more episodes to discuss and that's it. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot. So many emotions already. <laughs> so many emotions. We had no Azula Bells in this episode. Hmm. Um, so let's move on to Phantom Corner. What do you got for us, Kayla? So, you know, the pin that I told you to put in, we're going to take it out now. Mm-hmm. So this is the line referring to, uh, it's when Azula tells Ozai, you can't treat me like Zuko. So this comes from Tumblr from, um, what's this? From Sokka Styles, I think it's the name of it. Whatever, it's on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. I have the link. So this person says, it's one of her most sympathetic lines for how tragic it is and how one of her most repulsive lines too. It shows both her vulnerability and how truly terrifying it was for li- for her to live under Ozai, knowing exactly what the price of failure was because she was sitting there watching it with the always unspoken but ever-present, this could happen to you. It also shows how complete her lack of empathy for her brother is. The worst thing that she can imagine for herself is being treated like Zuko, which means that she psychologically can't imagine it. Her primary way of coping with it was to believe that Zuko deserved it and to prove over and over again that she was superior. This is what made her go from an innocent victim to being complicit in her brother's abuse, which, of course, that does not mean she isn't still a victim. Mm-hmm. What does strike... Let's, oh, sorry. I was going to say, let's. It's this is a little long, so let's just stop here and talk yeah. about this chunk. Um, I like that, yes, that she... The way that she copes with Zuko's treatment is to believe that he deserved it. But there's also the implication here that Azula knows or at least acknowledges that Zuko has been mistreated. Mm-hmm. But to her, the mistreatment and the person she looks up to doesn't align. So she instead blames Zuko, the victim in the situation, and is, yeah, is basically saying you deserve it. Uh, then that's why you're getting this treatment. But I, I think it's interesting that Azula has at, at some point or another acknowledged that Zuko was being abused. And she knew that. But then the, she still did not have that sympathy because she blamed Zuko for getting that. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, continuing off of what we just said, uh, the, post, the person who wrote this post says, I find it very interesting that Azula is meet, late to meet Ozai since not being perfectly punctual is very un-Azula-like. Her mm-hmm. armor has already begun to slip here due to Zuko defecting and then Mei and Tai Lee, all three people that she thought she had control over. She then, of course, blames it on the Palakine ba- bearers. I can't pronounce the damn thing, but the people who Palakine. carried her over um, yeah. because she is above blame. She has to be above blame. When she can't exert control over the people closest to her anymore, she exerts control over her servants. She then, of course, can't admit lack of control over herself. She wasn't late. Right. They were. Right. 
but I also feel it's more than that. Ozai was prepared to leave without her and doesn't even inform her until the last minute when she shows up running to assume her place by his side that there has been a change of plans. This is similar to the kind of gaslighting that Ozai does with Zuko and mirrors how Zuko was simultaneously not told about the war meeting once he was back home and was yet expected to be there and chastised for being the last one there. Something Mm -hmm. that I think Ozai did purposefully. Yes. So in the scene, in that scene, Azula is immediately put into a position where Ozai has the upper hand and also mirrors how Zuko was so kept out of the loop that even before his disgrace, when he, that he had to ask Iroh to let him into the war meeting. It's hard to say whether this was due to Zuko being too young at 13, but since he brings up his duty as a prince to Iroh, and since Azula seems to have been very familiar with war meetings at 14, I think this is due to Ozai purposefully shutting Zuko out. This is the first time we see him do this to Azula. He's not even looking at her as he tells her his, that the plans have changed. Yep. When she says that Iroh, that, not Iroh, sorry, that, that when she says that Ozai can't treat her like Zuko, she stands up furious. This is in contrast to Zuko falling to his hands and knees to beg for mercy once he perceives Ozai's displeasure. Ozai tells Azula to silence herself where he once let her speak freely. And she brings up how it was her idea to burn the Earth Kingdom. An idea that she brought up in the war meeting when she wasn't even asked to speak and is interrupting. Yep. Yep. Zuko was burned for speaking up when he wasn't supposed to. And Azula was praised for talking out of turn and interrupting her brother. It's no wonder she would be confused now as she's exhibiting the same behavior that her father praised for her a few days before. It highlights what being treated like Zuko means for her. These are rules that are not are apply, supposed to apply to Zuko, but not her. And he gives her an empty title and a task that's basically meant to get her out of the way while she while, while he takes all the glory. Sound yeah. familiar? Azula thought that playing by her abuser's rules would keep her safe from the treatment she believed that her brother had deserved. But like a lot of abusers, and like Azula herself, Ozai is a manipulator. This is actually what makes Ozai so dangerous to his children, but it's so subtly shown that a lot of fans don't even see it and see Azula as a manipulative person versus Ozai's more straightforward violence. But Azula most definitely got it from her father, and in the end, it's used against her as well. Of course it always was, but she was so indoctrinated into the belief that she was better than her brother that she thought it would save her. And that's what ultimately makes her such a tragic figure. Yeah. And I didn't even, I didn't even know, like realize that Azula is really taking on the behavior of her abuser as a means of like protecting herself. And I think that's, that's really interesting when you, when you put all of her behavior through that lens um, and I love, I didn't even notice like the parallels of, of like her standing up while, you know, the flashback of Zuko, he's kneeling. Like, that's so interesting. And I didn't even notice that the, the thing about Azula interrupting Zuko, Zuko in the war meeting and being praised for it. Like, I definitely think that not only what is there a double standard, but the moment that Azula is not valuable to Ozai, he doesn't care about her. Because he, he has, he doesn't have a caring bone in his body. Um, and there is a certain amount of gaslighting here where he's like, you're going to be the fire Lord. Like you're going to be so powerful. You're going to be, you know, protecting the homeland and Azula eats it right up because, you know, to her, this is a, an honor being bestowed upon her by her father. But even he knows that as, as if he can keep Azula in as fire Lord, then he can still control her, you know? So, yeah, and I love the the also the thing about the palanquin bearers and her blaming 
like her tardiness on them is a, another subtle way of showing that Azula losing is it. losing it. Like she's like she's not the same Azula as before Zuko may entirely defected from the Fire Nation. And even watching it the second time this week, I, I was like wondering, I was like, I mean, did we really need that scene? Not really. But now I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, we definitely needed it. And it's like those those things in Avatar where like, normally if I ever think that about Avatar, I'm like, but there is probably a meaning. <laughs> like it's very, it's very, it, it's so, it's so passive in its delivery but it holds so much information with the character, you know? So, ugh, it's just it's just so good. So good. And this was literally like a two-minute scene, but yeah. there was so much going on. And that's what makes it so engaging to watch. It just makes, and just like setting up the pieces to fall, you know, setting up the dominoes exactly. to fall in the next few episodes, you know, setting yeah. up the, the final Agni Kai and... Oh my god, that's the next two episodes. We're gonna get the we're gonna get the, we're gonna get the everything's coming together. And there's just oh man. Oh, it's gonna be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, let's move on to our recommendations for the week. Um, I'll go, I guess I'll go first in this case. Uh yeah. so there's this app out there called Skyscanner, and essentially it helps you to find super cheap flights to different destinations. Um, so, you know, trying to plan a trip and want to be on budget, you can use Skyscanner to find your destination and it calculates like the cheapest flights out there during that time period you want to be there. And yeah, it's really cool. I highly recommend it. Simple this week. <laughs> Love that. Um, I also have a simple one. Uh, get your COVID booster. Um, it's just as free and just as easy to get as the first two doses. I think it's like 18 and older now you can get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, they're in the process of of getting approval for 15 and 16. But yeah, right now, if you're over 18, it's widely accessible. Bring your vaccine cards. Bring your vaccine card. Yes, I almost forgot to do that. Bring your vaccine card. If you laminated your vaccine card, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. If you can unlaminate it, that'd be great because they got to write that thing on there. But um, yeah, I had um, I had no side effects. My boyfriend did. So it's still, it's the same as the two doses. Some people have side effects, some people yeah, don't. Yeah, I didn't you know. have a side yeah. effect either. But yep. get boosted so that way keep yourselves and others safe. And keep away Miss Omicron. Um yeah. she is she is yeah scary. out and scary, definitely. But yeah, get your COVID vet uh COVID vaccine booster. And as always, if you'd like some extra Avatar Hour in your life, subscribe to our exclusive Patreon at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast for some awesome benefits, including access to our Google Docs, our ad-free Avatar Hour, and our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. Uh, we have plenty of those up now. There's so many of my favorites, like reacting to Avatar TikTok, uh, reacting to, uh, to the Halloween costumes, uh, our terrible fan casting, uh, <laughs> us reacting to pretend like ideas suggested by Ranker.com for Avatar Studios. We have a lot of good ones up. So that's available at our $5 level right there. Yes. And of course, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Avatar Hour and at the Avatar Hour podcast on Instagram and Facebook. This is also a great way to submit things for Fandom Corner. So if you have any thoughts or theories or memes or happy to receive them. We really do love getting DMs with how passionate y'all are about mm -hmm. the show and our podcast. Like we And we are keeping it. track we are keeping track of submissions and what's being sent. We have a whole Google Doc of submissions from everybody um in the future. 
may hopefully we're planning to have a listener feedback episode so if you have feedback if you have thoughts theories headcanons definitely send it um while you can um and a quick note about avatar after hour next week on top of the live stream um we will be having our avatar after hour episode of us you know kind of doing a wrap-up episode on avatar the last airbender kind of how we did wrap-up episodes and like reflections about uh rise and shadow of kiyoshi um that episode will be released um as regular two weeks later um but if you want to listen to it right after the live stream, it'll be available for um, $5 on Patreon. But yeah. Um, and if you'd also like to uh, send your voicemails over to us so you can have your voice appear live on the show, um, definitely um, email that to us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, that's it for today. Um, we'll see you guys next week for our live stream. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. My name's Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone.